John 18, John 18, we continue our time on Wednesday evenings during the summer looking at the life of Peter, and uh, I want to encourage you, I pray that you would uh, uh, pray and spend some time in prayer, asking the Lord to speak to you, and as we deal with the life of Peter, there's much to deal with. Uh, The entire series, we have titled that Stand Out. Now last week and a couple weeks before we dealt with this, this understanding of standing out, you will, regardless of what you think, you're going to stand out. It's just a matter of how are you going to stand out. As you study the life of Peter, Peter gives us many observations that we can look at his life and see that Peter was standing out for the glory of God. And Peter also sometimes, because of his own foolishness and his actions sometimes, he stood out in a negative way as well. And last week we looked at that a little bit. And you think about uh, some of the things that Peter has dealt with and the training that Peter received. In John chapter number 18, you come to a portion of Scripture where the Lord is just finished dealing with much of the training of the disciples. He has been bringing the disciples along and he has been uh, dealing with them and helping them and, and encouraging them and showing them how to live out the Christian life and how to be a testimony and how to reach people and to point people to Christ. And you, you think about the training that you see in the gospel accounts. All throughout the ministry of Christ and what he was doing and how he was working. And as you come to the book of Matthew, you see that Jesus was shown as the king of kings. You go and you find yourself in the book of Mark and you see that he was shown and revealed as a suffering servant. He came to minister to. You come to the book of Luke and you see him as the son of man. And you come to this book, John, and you see him as the son of God. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. As you begin to think about that, and his, his reputation is growing here. He's, he's beginning to see a following, as we noticed last week. And as you come to John chapter number 18, a familiar portion of Scripture, you're going to notice as our minds go to John chapter number 18, there are two things that we begin to notice. The first thing is what? Judas' betrayal. He's about to betray Jesus himself. The second thing that we often go to and we look at in this passage of Scripture is something that we kind of find a little bit humorous at the same time, and that is what? Peter swinging that sword. As you come to John chapter number 18, as I was reading this, my mind went back to a statement that many of you probably have used or you've at least thought or you've at least experienced in your own personal life. How many of you have that that crazy family member that whenever you're around them, you're just waiting for them to do something, and you're sitting there saying, oh boy. Any of you got a family member that's like that, maybe a crazy uh, person in your family, and you just know when you get around with them, you just know something they're going to do, and you're going to sit there, and you just know there's going to be an experience. And then we got some church members maybe even that whenever there, there are times of gatherings, we might sit back and we know that that crazy church member is going to do something. And we just sit back and we say, oh boy. Now imagine with me for just a few moments, John chapter number 18, Peter has been discipled and all the disciples have been trained by the Lord Jesus Christ and Jesus is knowing everything that's about to take place. Notice what the Bible says in John chapter number 18, as you come to verse number 4, the Bible says, Jesus therefore knowing all things, he wasn't caught off guard by the way, that doesn't happen, the Lord doesn't get caught off guard by things. You might wake up tomorrow morning and say, oh I didn't see that coming, but there's never been a time where God said, oh I didn't see that coming. He is all knowing. He knew that what was about to take place. And as you come to John chapter number 18, verse number 4, the Bible says, Jesus therefore knowing all things that should come upon him. Now he's just been doing the training. Judas is about to betray him with a kiss. He's about to hand him into the, the hands of the armies that are coming to get him. And then Peter comes onto the scene. 
Peter's about to stand out. Peter's about to, in, in his own way, take things into his hand. And imagine with me for just a moment. Jesus knows everything that's about to take place. And I can just imagine as the, 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 the group is standing there and over 600 soldiers waiting to take Jesus. I can just imagine if I were looking at that situation that it might have crossed Jesus' mind that he said, Oh boy, Peter's about to do it. Peter's about to do it. It's about to happen. And all of a sudden, Peter grabs that sword and swings that sword and chops off the ear of Malchus. That was a a situation, as I read this, my mind went to this statement. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Here we go. Notice with me, John chapter number 18, verse number 1, the Bible says this, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the book Cedron, where was a garden into which he entered his disciples, And Judas also, which betrayed him, notice this statement right here, knew the place. For just a moment, can I pause for just a moment and and share with you that we're going to deal with a couple of things that take place in this portion of Scripture. You're going to see a conflict of battle that's about to be set here. And you're going to begin to see the the, the cowardliness of of, of Judas in this situation. You're going to see the courage of Peter. And the the cowardliness of of Judas is seen in the beginning of these verses. Notice here in verse number 2 again that it says that he knew the place. For Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way. That the saying might be fulfilled, which he spake, of them which thou gavest me, have I lost none. Now notice in the beginning right here, you're going to begin to see the betrayal of Judas here. But Jesus begins to point all the focus on him and make sure that the disciples are not harmed. And he says right here in verse number 8 at the very beginning, at the very end, If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way. He's taking into consideration his disciples' lives. And he knows that he cares for them and that they, he loves them and he wants them to see that. Verse number 10, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it. Here's the old boy moment. And smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And then said Jesus unto Peter, you begin to see him rebuking Peter here, put up thy sword into, thy sheath, into the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Now in this portion of scripture, we can cross over here in a few moments and see all that takes place with the ear. Jesus is going to grab the ear and put it back on and heal. And you're going to begin to see the miracle there of the healing of the ear and everything that takes place in Luke 22. But I want you to notice in verse number 18 as we lay this foundation that the Bible says in verse number 1, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kedron. Now this, this verse right here begins to deal with this brook, and this brook was a, a, it means darkness or dark waters, if you would. Now this was not a, a pleasant place. We're going to deal with that here in a few moments. The waters of this area were darkened by the steep cliffs on both sides of the river and by trees which shadowed everything. You begin to see that Jesus is going here, and the Bible tells us that it was an off-time place that he resorted to. 
This was a black brook, and it was dark, and it was not something that was warm feeling, if you were to say it that way. It was a place of suffering and anxiety. And you go and you look at even the life of David, and you see that it was a place of suffering and anxiety for David in the place when he was fleeing Absalom. He, too, had to cross this river. And this is where Jesus is going. And the Bible tells us in verse number 1 of this chapter, this is where he entered, and his disciples, and Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. And so notice with me a couple things. Number one, we see the conflict is being prepared here. Something is about to take place. It's not going to be a pleasant thing. It's going to be something that was not something that we would want to see take place. But Jesus knew that it was going to take place. And the Bible tells us in verse number one, and it'd be very easy for us to overlook this. In verse number one, the Bible says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kedron. Where was a garden into which he entered and his disciples? Now, as you read this verse, you just kind of flow through. You just look at it and you say, okay, it's just a little bit of background here. But if you're not careful, you'll miss the statement at the very beginning when it says in verse number one, where was a garden? Now, as you go and you study scripture, you'll find that gardens have an important role in scripture and in Bible history. They're mentioned for a reason. You go and you begin to see that it's been said that of the Garden of Eden, it was a garden of tragedy. It was where the seeds of death were planted. It was a tragic garden at the end of the day. It was a beautiful place. It was was a perfect place. But death found its way. The Garden of Gethsemane, a garden of testing where death begins to stalk Christ. Death is coming, but it's also the Garden of Gethsemane where it's a garden of triumph where death is now beaten. Praise the Lord. What a garden. The Bible tells us in John 19, verse number 41, Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden a new sepulcher wherein was never man yet laid. Matthew 28, verse number 6, He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. The grave, you begin to see the the, the garden here, a garden of triumph. Death has been beaten. And Judas is coming. In verse number 2, the Bible says, And Judas also which betrayed him knew the place. Now let me pause for just a moment. As you go and you study the life of the disciples, you'll find that Judas knew this place because he had experienced this place. Judas knew this place because it was a place that was not just a one-time visit, but it was a, a place where it was visited often, if you would. And how many times in our own lives as you go, and we're going to get to this later on as we draw it into a point here, but you'll find that oftentimes in our own lives and in our own personal testimonies, how many times do we look at the life of Judas and we look at him and say, how could he do so? How could he betray the Lord? But how many times have we betrayed the Lord? How many times have we known the place where God was doing a work? We chose not to visit that place. How many times have we, we experienced all that God was doing? The Bible tells us in verse number 2 that he betrayed him and he knew the place. Now Judas, in verse number 3, it says, having received a band of men. Now this word band speaks of the Roman cohorts. It was 10% of a Roman legion. It was a Roman legion consisted of about 6,000 men. And so roughly 600 men are in this scene approaching Jesus to take him away. And as you begin to see this, Jesus knows everything that's going to take place. He's trying to take all of the focus off of his, his disciples. As he says in verse number 4 at the very end, Whom seek ye? And then he goes on in verse number 8 and says, If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way. 
And in John chapter number 18, as you cross-reference over, you'll see that Judas goes to give Jesus a kiss. And in that moment, Jesus knows everything that's about to take place. The kiss did not catch Jesus off guard. But I'll tell you what did catch someone off guard. In that moment, Jesus could have rebuked Judas. In that moment, Jesus could have told Judas, what have you done? But instead, he shows Judas some kindness. He shows Judas some grace. He shows Judas that I am still he. Notice in this portion of Scripture, you'll find that in this laying down of what's taking place and the, 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 the conflict being prepared, that in verse number 3, the Bible says, Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. Three words is all he had to say. Notice what takes place. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. And as soon as they, they, then he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Now this word fell means to be thrust down, to fall in a prostrated position. The soldiers were overthrown by the power of the word of Christ here. As soon as Jesus says, I am he, it's as though they just fall to the ground in a prostrate position. And it was something that the word of Christ did in that moment. Can I share with you, just as powerful as we see in John chapter number 18, that the word of God was then. The word of God is still that powerful today. We find in scripture that by his word, he created the world. In Colossians 1 verses 16 and 17, the Bible says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. You see, that powerful word that he says, I am he, the same God that said that is the same God that threw the world together just like that, that tossed the stars in the world just like that, that redeemed you and saved your life. That is the same God that we're dealing with. His word is still powerful. It cleanses and forgives. In John 8, verse number 11, the Bible said, She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. He calms the troubled, Matthew 11, verse number 28. Some of you might have come into the house of God this evening and you're hurting tonight. You're broken tonight. You're discouraged tonight. You're depressed tonight. You're battling some things tonight. The Bible says in Matthew 11, verse number 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The same God that we're reading about here is the same God that can comfort you tonight. The same God that tells us to go, he's commanded us to share the gospel. In Matthew 28, we see that. You see, as you come to this portion of scripture, we might overlook these things. And we might only look at the simple fact that Judas betrayed him and that he knew the place. Or maybe that Peter cuts off the ear of Malchus. But can I share with you, there is so much here. And if you miss the simple fact that the word of Christ here throws them into the ground. He doesn't physically do it. Read here. Whom seek ye at the end of verse number four? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. Verse number six. As soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Then asked them he again, Whom seek ye? 
And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. The power of the word of Christ. You see, tonight, as you come to this portion of Scripture, may we not miss the importance of the Word of God. Can I ask you this question? What are you doing with the Word of God? Are you in the Word of God? Are you heeding the Word of God? Are you living out the Word of God? Are you sharing the Word of God? You see, the Word of God that we're dealing with is the same Word of God that is an eternal Word. In Mark chapter number 13, verse number 31, the Bible says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. It's the same Word of God that we just made reference to that is a comforting Word. It's the same Word of God that as we deal with, it's an exalted Word. In Luke 4, 32, it says, And they were astonished at His doctrine, for His Word was with power. It's a wonderful Word. It's a precious Word. Can I share with you the same word of God that was alive as he says, I am he is the same word of God that is alive today. The simple truth that we find in many of our lives is that we have forsaken the precious word of God. We have underestimated the precious word of God. Can I share with you that the Lord does not need you to come up with some new program. Just stick with the program he's already given us through the book. Oftentimes we think we have to rewrite something or we have to go a different direction. We have to say something that is found, uh, confounding and something that is so new and something that will just draw an awe. Can I share with you, just share the love of Christ. Can I share with you, just tell someone that Jesus loves them, that he died for them, and that they can find that comfort and that everlasting love that they're looking for. You see, I was just watching just last night as I was watching for just a few moments, there was a, a special youth meeting that is taking place out at North Valley Baptist Church. Brother Joseph Brown was preaching. He'll be with us here in a couple of weeks. And as he was preaching, he was dealing with the statement, Who is the Lord? Can I share with you, there are a lot of people that are asking that question today. There are people who are wondering, Well, who is this Lord that you're speaking of? And you know why they're oftentimes asking that question? Because he's not seen in our lives. As he was preaching, he began to touch on some things. And as he was dealing with this statement of who is the Lord, he began to reveal a video that was just recently taken as they were videoing a group of young people that were in a school system and they're trying to defeat this battle that young people are facing with depression and anxiety and the struggle that is within. And there was a video for about three to four minutes of young people being asked the question, and here is the question. It's a question that no doubt not just young people are facing, but people all across this nation are facing. And they ask this question, when was the last time you were depressed? And the young people in that video, every single one of them, one after another, the answers were very simple like this. They either said this, yesterday or right now. As we begin to go on and continue preaching, he began to elaborate and deal with it. And as he was dealing with that subject and he was, he was dealing with who is the Lord, he began to share the testimonies of some young people that were in his church who a couple of years ago were asking that exact same question and were facing those exact same circumstances where they were discouraged, they were depressed, they were trying to figure out what does the Lord have for my life? What is this that you're speaking of? What is the will of God? What is, who is this Jesus? What do you mean that there is love that I can find that is eternal? And a young man got saved in his youth group. And this young man went on to go and to share the gospel and get involved in the bus ministry. And as he went into the bus ministry, he found a young man and he led that young man to the Lord. This young man had been battling all of those things. and He had come from a rough life and he was struggling. 
and then he found Jesus. You see, as you come to the Word of God, you find that oftentimes we just don't give ourselves to it and the power of it. Some of you have come to the house of God right now and you're saying, I need God to to show me a miracle. I need God to do a work in my life. I need the Lord to to reveal some things. Well, when was the last time that you found yourself in this book so that he could do just that? When was the last time that you gave yourself to the reading of God's word and not only the reading of it, but the comprehending of it and saying, Lord, speak to me this moment. How many of you tonight have walked into the house of God and you're here presently, but you're so disconnected? I wonder tonight. You're asking the question, whom seek ye? The Bible says in verse number 5, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. You see, the power of the word of God is seen right here as those individuals, as he says, I am he, were thrust down. You see the cowardness in this conflict of Judas here as he has come, he has betrayed him. In verse number 5, the Bible says, and Judas also, which betrayed him, Stood with them. You've seen movies. You've been a part of this before. If I were to get a group of people right here and a group of people right here and I were to, 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 to enact this and show you what it looks like. And let's just say for a few moments I had been on this side for so long and then all of a sudden this group shows up and I begin to walk over with them. And the crowd over here is standing over saying, what are you doing? Why are you going over there? Imagine with me for just a moment. The heartbreak that takes place is the cowardliness act of Judas as he betrays the Lord Jesus. Say, did he know? Verse number four, Jesus therefore knowing all things. He had already addressed this. He knew this was going to take place. So now we come to Peter. Peter's going to stand out. Notice with me the third thing tonight we see, and this is where we'll park, is the courage of Peter. Now in this situation, we come to a situation where Peter is going to stand out, and he's going to stand out because he's trying to protect the Lord. He's going to try to defend the Lord. And the application tonight is that while there are many that try to uh, try to ridicule Christianity and try to ridicule the Word of God and try to tear down our God... There are going to be times whenever you're going to be in conversations and you're going to feel as though you have to defend the Lord. There will be times when you're going to have to to defend maybe what you believe and why you believe it. Can I share with you there's a way that you go about it? We see that principle here in verse number 7. The Bible says, Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said unto Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore you seek me, let these go their way. That the saying might be fulfilled which he spake of them which thou gavest me, have I lost none. Verse number 10 and verse number 11 is the oh boy moment as what's about to take place. And Jesus has just told them that he is the one that they're seeking. And then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Malchus's ear has just been removed. Now, Malchus was the servant of the high priest. If Malchus had been a, a, a soldier in the army, Peter could have been killed right then and there. 
Jesus, just a couple of verses, goes and he says in verse number 7, as you back up actually, as he says right here in verse number 8, if therefore you seek me, let these go there. He's trying to protect the life of his disciples and Peter being Peter is missing that. There's always that one in the group that doesn't really catch on to the the, the simple uh, underlying trying to make sure that it stays low key, if you would. It's always that one that it kind of goes right over their head and then all of a sudden the old boy moment comes. The times whenever maybe you're, you're trying to escape a conversation because it's an awkward, awkward conversation and all of a sudden what do you do? You, that, that person that's standing right next to you continues that conversation. You think, man, I was trying to stop talking about this. I was trying to get away from this. And Peter misses it. And Peter begins to raised the sword and smote the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. And Jesus says, put up thy sword. Now the statement that is found right here, put up thy sword, means to throw down or to let go without caring where it falls. We live in a a world today, many of you have seen uh, arguments that are taking place back and forth or the, uh, the roast, the friendly little roast contests that take place. And sometimes there will be what is called a mic drop moment. Where they're going back and forth and all of a sudden the individual says something that they know that the other person cannot come back with anything better and so they drop the mic. They don't care where it lands, they're turning around and walking away. In this moment right here, you can imagine as Jesus says, put up thy sword, Peter is holding it and he throws it down or he lets it drop, not even caring where it goes because Jesus... The one who is all-powerful says, what are you doing in just that moment? Put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my Father hath given me, shall I not drink it? You see, as you look in the last couple of weeks, last week we dealt with the denial of Christ from Peter's perspective. Peter sits by him. and say, aren't thou one No, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know the man. I don't know the man. He begins to curse. You see Peter denying Christ. You see Jesus standing there and looking at Peter, and you can imagine in that moment as his eyes turn to Peter, Peter immediately broken. In this week, we see Judas here betraying Jesus. As he's betraying Jesus, you find yourself looking at both of those and saying, how could they? But can I ask you tonight, how many times have we also denied Christ? You say, oh, I love the Lord. I live my life for the Lord. I want to live the Lord. Well, how do we sometimes deny the Lord? You say, I would never say anything that would deny the Lord. Well, sometimes we do. Sometimes through conversation. You might subtly, someone is trying to ask you questions and you very simply just make it an effort to to get by that conversation and shush it away and you begin to, without even realizing it, denying. Through your everyday life, you might deny Jesus Christ. Through problems, you might deny Jesus Christ. Through trials, through greed, through testings, we could go on and on and on, but sometimes in our own personal lives, we deny the Lord without even realizing it. We get caught up in the busyness of life and our own personal agenda and our own personal uh, problems and the things that we're trying to do that we deny Jesus without even realizing it. 
We betray Him sometimes by giving our time to other things instead of to Him. We hand things in. Can I ask you this question? How much have you sacrificed for your own comfort? Oftentimes, if we're not careful, we sacrifice some things that the Lord desires for us to have because it's just not comfortable. As I go back and I think about my own personal life, I've had to ask this question. There were some things that growing up, as I look back, I have to ask myself some things concerning my own personal life and how the Lord has brought me along. And many of you have been here before where you've walked in the midst of a trial, in in the midst of something that you pray would just end. But the Lord saw fit to take you through it. As I begin to think about those times, for me, I think about some of the struggles growing up, and and I I remember the Lord bringing my stepfather into my my life and how the Lord began to use him in my life. And there were some things that my stepfather taught me and some things that growing up that I learned. And and we moved to Columbus, Georgia. And I wonder, as we were moving to Columbus, Georgia, it crossed my mind as I was studying what I have traded going back to Columbus, Indiana in that moment, even though the Lord saw fit to take us from Columbus, Indiana to Columbus, Georgia because it was just a little uncomfortable. You see, that was the place I was saved. It was the place I was called to preach. That was the place I met my wife. Lord, I don't want to go there. I remember whenever Holly was born, and just a couple of hours after she was born, we went home the next day, and then all of a sudden we found ourselves in Vanderbilt Hospital. That's an uncomfortable moment. I traveled home. I remember going home, and as I was going home, I sat down in my recliner. As I sat down in my recliner, Kelly was up at the Vanderbilt Hospital with her mom, and I was coming home to to get a shower, to study, to preach, because I was still having to get up and do that. I remember sitting down in the recliner. As I sat down in the recliner, I got a phone call from Kelly, and one of the concerns that the doctor said is they were concerned that the, the infection that she had, if it entered her bloodstream, it could be deadly. If it didn't enter her bloodstream, she needed antibiotics and she could be treated. I remember I sat down in that recliner and Kelly called me and with tears. You could hear it over the, the phone. She said they believed that it might have entered into her bloodstream. I remember sitting there. You feel helpless. You can't do anything. There's nothing that you can control. And all of a sudden you begin to, to ask the question, why, Lord? And I go back to that moment, I wonder, would I have traded that in for just a little bit of comfort? Not the comfort that Jesus provides. I'm talking about the comfort that we think that we need in the sense of, Lord, we don't want any of these problems. Lord, just give me the cookie-cutter life. You fast forward a couple of years, and we, we experience the three miscarriages over the course of a year and a couple of months. And I look back and I ask the question, Lord, why did you allow those things? And I wonder, would I have traded those things in? For just the cookie cutter life. But Ken, you've been through some things. But Ken's testimony is strong. Mary, wife gets cancer, passes away, meets a young, beautiful woman by the name of Miss Kathy, marries her. She has the exact same cancer. He's been through some things. And I wonder, in our own personal lives, some of you have been through some things. And Brother Ken, I know for a fact that as you go through some things and you've spent some time with the Lord, you wouldn't trade 
what God is doing in your life, the cookie cutter life. Why? Because right in the midst of it, there stands Jesus. Those difficult things. And I wonder, in our own personal lives, we look at the life of Peter, and we look at the life of Judas, and we say, man, what were they thinking? You and I know, in the midst of the problem, sometimes we get angry at God, and we betray Him with our words. We deny Him. We say, oh, God can't still work. In the conversations that we have, in the life that we live, if we're not careful, we begin to show forth the denying of Christ without even realizing it. And so in this portion of Scripture, we come to the life of Peter who is standing out. Peter drawing the sword. Many of you have faced those those situations where you were confronted with someone who was rude. Where you were confronted with someone who was a, a very crude person or a mean person or offensive person or a difficult person or disrespectful or just a very simply hateful person. They're not pleasant moments, are they? Studying this morning, God saw fit to allow me to enter into one of these moments. Sitting on the couch, studying, and there's a gentleman outside the house, one of the dogs had gotten off the leash. Walk outside. Many of you know this. I'm a very patient person. And as I was standing there, we were having a conversation, and the gentleman starts to, to say some things that I didn't like. And I was fine with that until he took a step forward and pointed his hand in my face. I didn't lose my testimony. Don't worry, your pastor's not a brawler, but I was about to become one. See, he didn't realize I'd just been studying Peter cutting off a man's ear. And I walk outside. But you've encountered those people before. Just disrespectful. Rude. You see, the Bible deals with this and helps us to understand that there is a way, a time, which you approach these times. Peter, this old boy moment, immediately draws the sword and smites the high priest's servant's ear. Can I share with you six things that can I encourage you tonight that we close with? And I'll run through them. Six things that you can do in these moments whenever you encounter these times. Number one, can I encourage you to respond with grace? To respond with grace. Whenever you think that another individual doesn't deserve grace, can I share with you, we've all been in that place where none of us deserve grace. If it was not by the grace of God, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15.10, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and by His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Can I encourage you to respond with grace? Can I encourage you... Number two, to respond with kindness. Proverbs 15, 1 says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. 1 Peter 4, 8, And above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Respond with kindness. You know, it was amazing during COVID, the responses that you heard that just blew your mind. And a lot of the... the, a lot of the the, the nation is still recovering from some of those things and trying to get people employed. 
Kelly and I, just last night, we took the kids. We had to go and get a couple things. And so we were driving up to Nashville looking for the formula that, uh, that Charlie needs. And as we were there, we stopped in at one of our favorite places to eat, Red Robin. Can I get a yum? And uh, as we walked in there, the entire back half of the entire place was shut down. And uh, we walked in, and I'm thinking, okay, we're going to get in and get out of here. And we walk in, and we say, we've got four with a little high chair, if you could. We just put him in a uh, booster. And she said, okay, it'll be about a 20 to 25-minute wait. And naturally, I do this. And I asked, I said, are you guys understaffed? She said, yeah, we're understaffed. So we just waited for 20 to 25 minutes. And I learned my lesson in COVID that you just never know what the other person's going through. Some of you have had some things said to you, and in that moment you wanted to respond a certain way, but you held your tongue, which was very wisely, and the Lord, through circumstances, began to reveal to you that something was said because they were going through something, and they needed to be responded with kindness. Number three, respond with submission to the Lord. Proverbs 20, 22, Say not thou, I will recompense evil, but wait on the Lord, and he shall save thee. Proverbs 24, 29, Say not, I will do so to him as he hath done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. 1 Peter 3, verses 9 and 10, Not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are therefore called, that ye should not inherit a blessing, for he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Can I encourage you to submit your life to the Lord on a daily basis and you'll find in those moments when someone is ugly to you, in those moments where someone says something to you, you don't have to chop off someone's ear. Number four, respond with obedience. The Bible says in James 1.4, but let patience have her perfect worth that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Can I ask you this question? What is the Lord trying to do in your life? Now, I've shared with this with you before, but I'm thankful for every single person that the Lord has ever put in my life. And here's why. Some of them are a blessing. The Lord has used some of them as a time to teach me and train me. Will I go and hang out with some of them? Probably not. But am I thankful for the lesson I learned when dealing with them or talking to them or consulting with them? Absolutely. What is the Lord trying to to do in our lives and deal with us? Number five, two more, respond with prayer. The Bible says in Luke 6, verses 27 and 28, But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. That's hard. It's an easier said than done moment, but when was the last time you prayed for those people that have done you wrong? Those people who have hurt you. And then the last thing we see is, could I encourage you to do this? Reject bitterness. Don't let it harbor in your life. Hebrews 12, 15, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. You see, in this moment of Peter's life, we see him standing out. In just a moment, Peter reacts without even thinking, and he doesn't even realize that in verse number 7, the Bible says, if therefore you seek me, let these go their way. Actually, verse number 8. He misses what Jesus is trying to do. He stands out. We're thankful for his courageous act as he was trying to defend Jesus, but we note his disobedience in standing his ground. Can I encourage you tonight? 
as you come to this portion of Scripture, we see that Peter was standing out. And as we've said many, many times before, this world needs some Christians with boldness, but we can still be bold and speak truth and love. I truly believe it. I've had conversations, I've worked with people that were, to, that were vile and said some things, and, and slowly as they see that you are faithful to the Lord, all of a sudden when they're in your presence, they try to refrain from those things because you've made a difference. You don't have to be hateful. You just need to love on them. You see, the reason many times in this world we find that so many people are hateful is because they've never experienced love. And there's no greater love than Jesus' love. I close with this. Brother John was sharing this just yesterday as we were talking about soul winning and some of the follow-up visits. And aren't you thankful we had some visitors? Soul winning still works, by the way. Knocking on doors, inviting people. And what a blessing it was. And Brother John was sharing that he went up to a a door and was knocking on a door and talking to, to a man. And that man, you could tell, was guarded. The man had some tattoos on his arm and Brother John just saw one of them and striked a conversation up based on that that tattoo. The man's entire countenance changed. He didn't rebuke the man. He didn't hurt the man's feelings. He didn't belittle the man. The man noticed, hey, maybe maybe this guy does care. Maybe he's inviting me and that's all he truly wants to do. Can I encourage you tonight? The world needs to see Christians that are loving Christians. May the love of Christ dwell in us and may we take it out to a lost and dying world. We see Peter standing out tonight. He was courageous. He did something that we look at and we say, Man, Peter, look at that. He was cutting the man's ear off. Jesus looks at him and rebukes him in that moment. We look at verse number 8 and Peter missed it. If I ask you this question, how are you responding? You're going to come in contact with people who are rude, disrespectful, hateful, belittle you, how are you going to respond? You're going to find that sometimes you're going to want to betray and you're going to want to deny because it's just not comfortable. Is it worth living the Christian life any longer? The circumstances you found yourself in, God has a plan in the midst of them. See it through. Keep your eyes fixed on Him and you'll see Him in the end. Can I encourage you tonight? Live for Lord and stand out. Jesus, we do thank You. What a Savior. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the examples found in scripture. Lord, we look at the life of Judas and we look at the life of Peter and we ask that question, how could they do this? But far too often we do the exact same thing without even realizing it. We deny you, Lord, by stopping those conversations when someone's asking about you. Because, man, we just don't have time. Lord, we go on our separate ways and we trade in all of what you're trying to do because it's out of our comfort zone and we're not comfortable with it any longer. And all of a sudden, Lord, you're trying to work, but we've traded in for our own comfort. In the midst, missing all the comfort you were wanting to provide. Lord, I pray that you would deal with us. May we stand out, but stand out for good. Draw us unto yourself. Lord, help us to rest in you. And Lord, yield our lives to you. Lord, may we be Christians that stand out, that stand out for your glory. We'll thank you for it. Guide us now. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray.